Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is the host of the top business podcast, The Learning Leader. His show has made a huge impact on me and our entire team here with the Savannah Bananas. His new book, Welcome to Management, should be the textbook for all leaders. I'm fired up to welcome my friend, Brian Hawk, to the show. Jesse, thank you, man. It's so good to be here with you. As always, I love our chat. So whether they're via text, handwritten notes, or here on uh, Skype, man, I love it. Yeah, the last the last six months, man, it's been great connecting with you. I, obviously, I've been following you for a couple of years now. My team always gets excited. Like, oh, you're sharing another show from Ryan today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're so good, man. They're so good. You get great entrepreneurs, great questions. And I know you've evolved and you always joke about how when you started the podcast, you can't even listen to your first few. And the quote you always keep coming back to is the one from J.J. Reddick is that, you know, you haven't arrived, you are always becoming, you always come to this quote. I'd love to hear kind of a little bit, maybe share your story and how you are constantly becoming and give a little context for the listeners. For me, it's regularly putting myself in situations that I'm stretching the edge of my current competency and comfort zone. So you hear about like being on, live on, like jump outside your comfort zone or live on the edge of that. For me, it's both like physical and mental. So I want to regularly put myself in situations with people who are smarter than me, wiser, have more knowledge to share. And that's really the purpose of my podcast is so that I know I'm going to regularly speak with an expert in a specific area when it comes to maybe it's the CEO of NASDAQ. Obviously, Bob Dreifeld is smarter than me and he's led a lot longer than me and has done it very successfully. Or maybe it's J.J. Rett. You know, he played in the NBA for 14 years and I can learn from how he sustained excellence in a world where he probably shouldn't be able to, given his kind of physical limitations, not really being able to jump and being smaller than most people. How has he figured that out? So really regularly putting myself in positions to be the dumbest person of a one-on-one conversation. I mean that honestly, like I'm not degrading myself, but I mean it in the fact that if I am always forced to stretch or have to raise my level of thought and ability to listen and ask good questions, I think that's going to make me better long term if that just becomes a habit. And so for me, that is a habit of mine is just to regularly put myself in those situations, both for the podcast, as well as outside of it when I'm meeting with mentors or other impressive leaders. Yeah, I wasn't planning on going here, but you bring that topic up and everyone says, you know, you want the five people you surround yourself, getting yourself in that room, being the dumbest person in the room. And then your show, Neil Prashika, I think, talked about being a in that comfortable spot first. I, I can't remember the reference he made, but it was, it was brilliant about, you know, you want to be a place, I think it was in the biggest, the biggest fish in a small pond. He wants to be a big fish in a small pond, yeah. yeah. So, and this is an area of contention I brought up with Neil. And he said, you know, I think he made a little bit of a joke about this, but basically he was talking, his book is about resilience and kind of the target market are those people who may be struggling. And so he's giving advice to someone who, who asked him a question about, like, hey, I'm struggling with what's going on, whether it's in life or my career. And it, his advice is to be a big fish in a small pond to create momentum for yourself, to create some small wins, to, you know, don't buy a million dollar uh, apartment in New York City when the penthouse costs 40. Instead, go to a cheaper building, uh, so to speak, where you can be the, the big fish in the small pond. So I think I get it. I think there are two interesting viewpoints. They're not necessarily in contrast for each other. It just depends on where you currently are in your life. But your journey, like just going through your actual journey, you've kind of climbed, you've become good at a certain area, then become bigger and then get into, I always say go into that bigger playground. 
you know, at first the slides, I have a look, you know, I have a one and a half year old. I know you have the girls, you know, they're intimidated at first, but then once they get to that slide and they go down it, they might be ready for the bigger slide. Talk about your journey. I mean, again, for the listeners, going through sports, jumping into a regular management position, now leaving that, I mean, it's, it is, you're constantly becoming. And so I'm just yeah, I'm fascinated I by was that. probably lucky, Jesse, and, and I know, obviously, with your baseball background uh, as a player and my football background as a player, I had the, and I view it now as, as being very fortunate at the time I didn't, but when I went to college to play football, you know, I played quarterback and I was fortunate to have a, a pretty good high school career to get recruited to play and have some options. And I chose to go to Miami University here in Ohio on the Mid-American Conference. And, and this is the exact same year that I went there. Another guy who plays the same position as me, who is my exact same age, is Ben Roethlisberger. And so Ben, who's now you know Hall of Fame quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, multiple Super Bowls, and I were competing for the same job. And there's only one of us that could, that could play uh, on a daily basis. And that competition lasted for two years. So ultimately, coach the late great Terry Hapner obviously made the right choice, and he, he chose the other guy, uh, did not choose me. But I think that's been part of the journey is that I was forced. Well, I remember the very first day of practice, watching him play 6'5", 6'1". He's got an arm like I had not seen before in person, and I'd been to NFL games before, and I'd not seen an arm like that. And I immediately thought, how in the world am I going to beat this guy out? I don't know. And so that forced me to kind of stretch my level of play, and I think I actually played better for it. And I ultimately ended up transferring once he won the job, and I was going to be the backup because I wasn't going to be a backup. I wanted to be the starter where then I finished my career as a starter at Ohio University. And so I think it started there, Jesse, and then you, know, you get into the world of, of business, and I just took the same type of approach to work of really showing up every single day, doing the unsexy things, right? Just consistently showing up and doing the work. And I took the same approach to my podcast and the same approach to keynote speaking and the same approach now to running the leadership circles that I run, which is like I'm going to consistently show up and put in the work every single day. and I've realized that that's how you sustain anything. And for me, I don't think I'm talented enough to just show up on stage and start speaking. There's a lot of work that goes into, you know, I have a speech on Thursday in Wyoming, so I fly out early tomorrow morning. I know that there's been a lot of work leading up to this one. I'm giving a similar talk that I've given before, but that doesn't mean, you know, I don't have that productive paranoia working in high gear right now to get ready to to deliver for these people that I'm going to stand in front of. So I really try to take that same methodical, consistent, show up every day type approach. And that's so far has, has been helpful for me. You know, I love that we have a, uh, a young man, the mental disability who works for us. And he is our janitor at our stadium. And he like, that's what he wanted to do. Like he literally came to us. He's like, this is what I've done at the bowling alley. I want to clean the ballpark. And he goes around, his name's Reginald. And he's become a legend. He goes around oh, the, biggest, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the biggest smile and goes around. And his mindset is, I'm going to be the best janitor I can be. And I think about that with what you're doing and what great leaders do. It's be the best at where you are. And you're not going to be at this top stage. You and me are doing a lot of speaking right now. And yeah, we go into it every day. We're evolving. We're changing. You know, we're not that, you know, top, top level right now, but we're being the best at where we are right now and working at it. And I think that's something that obviously you've learned a lot. And I think something we have similar is the role our, our dads have played. You come back to your dad so much in your book. And my dad, still to this day, I'm trying to make him proud. And I look at your role your dad played. And I think having someone like that is huge. You know, I'd love to hear a little bit about the relationship with your dad, because I think that's important for leaders to know, not just a dad, but someone that's there constantly offering advice and pushing and encouraging. We could talk for the rest of the time about my dad and my mom. But I think it is important 
for those who are very fortunate, like me, to have incredible parents, I think it's worth your time to think about that. You do this in a similar way by you know regularly showing gratitude, sending thank you notes, right? I was the receiver of one. But if you are so fortunate and lucky like I am to have incredible parents, I think about that every day. I try to call them a lot. I see them a lot. In fact, we were strategizing on how to build, how to film in, uh, my online course that's going to come out around the same time as my book. And it's, the outline was insane. It was like bigger than the actual book, the <laughs> amount of written words for this thing, because we really want to make a, a big return on investment for people. And Lizzie Merritt, who is my newest business partner, who I've hired full time to work with me, she said, why don't you film the course with your dad? Because I, I see the way you look at it and the way that, that you guys talk. And I think the students would benefit most if you got, if you know, you could introduce the topic and maybe give a bit, you know, a structured written part but then you guys informally chat about that specific topic. And so last week, actually, Jesse, I sat down and we filmed 30 lessons side by side. It took us four days, four full days, like nine, 10 hour days. So we were filming like 40 hours of filming and it was amazing, man. I mean, he led a thousand person sales force for many years. It was really cool is for his birthday one year, I wanted to give him a book and I wanted the book to be I wanted to feel the impact that he has had on so many people. So what I did is I reached out to about 40 people in his life that he has impacted. These are coworkers, friends, a couple of family members, but mainly people that he's impacted at work, people that worked for him, people that he worked for, everything in between. It was the greatest gift that I could ever receive because I, like every day as I was building this book for him, I was receiving this incredible email about like my heroes telling me, how he had impacted their life. And these stories were amazing, Jesse. I'm telling you about all of, and I, you know, I knew some of it, but I didn't know nearly the extent of the impact. And so I don't know if I'm like trying to live up to that. What I would say is though, I do want to have that type of impact on people. I think it is motivating for me to see this person in my life, my dad has changed the kind of the trajectory of so many lives that while that's ambitious and it's really hard, I think it's a worthy goal and a worthy pursuit. So both my mom and my dad, certainly the model for a relationship, the model for being parents, the model for being married, all of that. And on top of that, you got all these other people that they've impacted that. That means so much to me. So I'm trying to do uh, something similar. You know, I always I perked up every time I, I read a quote from your dad or a lesson from your dad throughout the book because I have that same relationship. And I think there's a lot to learn from there. And we can turn it. It's not just about someone who has fortune to have an amazing dad. But, you know, that philosophy, I believe in be a mentor, not a boss. Your dad, you never thought of he's the boss of me, but he's definitely been a mentor and a leader for you. And I'd love to kind of go into this from some of the, the lessons from your dad that literally anyone can apply. Because I actually did this, Brian, you'll appreciate this. I one and a half year old, I, I wrote. 10 lessons I've learned from my one-year-old the other day, like literally lessons that I've learned from my one-year-old about how he approaches life and happiness and fun and curiosity. And Give, all me Give me a couple. Give me a couple. Oh, well, first thing, if this is the funny one, if it's, if something smells funky, it's time to make a change. So <laughs> that's a business lesson. So if something smells funky in the office, it's time to make a change. So that's with his diaper. So again, other ones, I have the book right here, but I just, I sketched them out yesterday and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. But you know, the Love. way to look at curiosity and everything and awe and excitement, the way he runs around, you know, he'll grab a plunger and start swinging it because he wants to swing baseball. He'll grab a plunger and start swinging. I mean, it's like, I look at the way he is and I'm like, 
wow, the way to approach life, just look at everything, turn the corner, have fun, you know, always ask questions. It's amazing to what I've seen from him. And I'll, I'll put the piece out a little bit, but yeah. you're going to be pivoted there. But from your dad, I think this is so important because the way a dad cares for you, mm-hmm. and this goes into leadership. If you could just share, if your dad's a leader right now, what would you take from him that you could share? It's funny, when I was sketching out the book early on, I had a session where I sat down with him and another friend of mine, and I said, you know, you've had a big impact on me. Let's like get some of the things down in writing. And, you know, he knows a big part of him is in that book, whether he's quoted or not, a big part of him is is in it and the whole thing. It was funny. He made this comment in passing, like he didn't really think of it. He was just talking about something else. And he goes, you know, it's a lot harder than when you care. And I said, wait, huh? What did you say? He goes, what do you, what, what do you mean? I go, that part you just said about caring. He goes, oh, well, it's just a lot harder when you care. I go, huh? Think about that. It's true. Now it's harder, but it's more meaningful. And I think that's what leadership is. Like leadership to me is about like, and this is why I look up to you and admire your story and why I had you on my podcast, Jesse, is because it is evident how much you care. It is evident how much you care about your team first about the people who you support and that you are working to lead. It's hard though, right? It's easier not to lead. It's easier not to care. It's easier to be like, ah, I don't really care, right? Like there are probably things in our lives. Like I probably said this about fantasy football when I was losing or something. I don't really care, right? Whatever. Like something stupid like that. It's easier when you don't care. It's a lot harder when you do. And leadership is all about caring about people and thinking about people and listening to people and trying to help people, all of that is hard. It is much easier to not do it. And I think so. So that's why leadership is a choice first and foremost. Will you make the choice to care about other people? And I am inspired by that. And I love the feeling I receive when I feel like I have helped somebody. Like that is a, that is a, a genuinely the juice that really gets me going is that whether it's an email, an in-person conversation, a comment about my podcast or the book, that's fuel, man. So I I think that's why I do what I do and why I can't ever imagine not continuing to do this. You know, it brings up a great point. I heard Pete Carroll recently talk about how he's always loved to win, but he won so much. He won so much that the law of diminishing returns, it faded a little bit. So then it wasn't until he started helping others win. He started helping his players win. He started helping his coaches win. And it wasn't about him winning that he got more fulfillment and happiness than anything else. And that goes into care. And I think you and me are in the same box. Like, like we're just having fun doing it. And we get emails and letters telling us about like what we're doing. And like, wow, we're getting so much of it. Now it's like, how can we do more of that for those? Because it's not about us. We get the joy out of helping theirs. And I think that is so powerful. And I think there are a few things in the book you talk about when you had Team Hawk with your first, the things that you would do and you learned from Jason Gaynard. And I think, the listeners here would love to know some of these things to show you care. I know they've heard some of the crazy things we've done, but you in a management position, and then also mm. what you learned from our friend Jason Gaynard. I mean, I'd love to just hear some of these little things and share some of them for our listeners. Specifically, what you're referencing is when we were building, you know, when I got promoted initially from individual contributor, I was a, a top performing sales rep. And usually how it works is the top performer gets at least the opportunity to interview. And a lot of times you get tapped to be the manager of the team. Not always a wise decision just to make your top sales guy a manager, but I wanted to prove them right. I was hired at a pretty young age. And I truly, Jesse, I'm not just saying this, got pretty lucky with the first few hires I made. They turned out to be 
everything you could really want and and someone to help build the type of culture. And I remember, I mean, Dave Campbell, David George, and John Mers were the three of the first people that I hired. And those three guys were the reason that we had this team name and culture built. And Dave Campbell was behind all this. He'd be he designed a logo and a flag and a logo was a, a hawk, uh, similar to like my name, uh, the hawk holding a rusty sword. And he said the rusty sword symbolizes that we're gritty. Like we, our swords have rust on them. Like they're not beautiful. Like we get down and we work. And so there's a hawk with a rusty sword and there's these big flags and t-shirts. And they created this award for the top performer, which was the cup because Dave loved hockey. He still loves hockey. And they were made out of these like little like tin can things, but it looked like a Stanley Cup. And you got if you won for a month, you got your picture on it that on top of their cubicle. And so all these little things, people started noticing throughout the business. And we were building a culture from within. The culture was fine in our business. It wasn't bad. It was fine. But now people above me were starting to say, what are you doing? Like, what, what is this? How can we make this spread to other parts of our business? It actually led to a big promotion for me. In fact, two of them. Because they said, can you do what you did there, but now do it over here on a much bigger scale? Now, part of the challenge there was, I said, it wasn't me. It was the people on the team that, and it truly, truly mean that. It was the people on the team. So it's not like you just plug me in over there and that's going to work. Now, I, I can take what I've learned and try to do something similar. But it's really about the who. And the who is everything. And so I learned quickly that if you get, the kind of hiring, training, developing part, right, with the right people, that changes everything. And another lesson from my dad, I remember the email vividly. He said, you know, hold your standards high. If you do this well, you will be rich and famous within the business. And if you do this poorly, you will be poor and unemployed. And that was kind of harsh, but very true. Just like you, Jesse, if you weren't able to attract these great people to come work for you guys and work with you alongside you, you only are one guy yeah. and now you have a lot of energy and you're able to really grind, but you need those people without them. You would not be able to exist in a fashion in which you do. And I think that's something I learned really early and partially got lucky yeah. with good people early. What I think is so powerful though, is the intentionality. So all right, we're developing a group. It's team Hawk. We're going to be in this together. And then, I mean, you did some things, unique gifts, and it wasn't just for the people on your team. It was for the family members of the people, on their team. I mean, some of those things, the stories, you just share a little yeah. bit because I think, a, every company should look at this. If you're a car dealership, does the service department have their culture where they're in this together? Does this department have their culture where they're in this together? And like, it's okay. Bring those people together. Like we talk about fantasy football teams. I mean, you're in this together. I'd love to hear some examples of things. Yeah. And one of this is, part of this comes from our mutual friend, John Rulin, which I had not become aware of John at the point when this was happening. But John says, of course, since Lauren's like, love the people that love them. And so I kind of stumbled into this where I do a get-to-know-you exercise with any person who's new on my team. And there's a series of questions about them as a person, their interests, what they like, nothing work-related. It's outside of that. By the way, some HR people don't love this exercise because it does get a little bit personal, but nothing crazy. Yeah. But I, I'd say, hey, I'm just trying to get to know them. And then we have our conversation after we did our, our get-to-know-you exercise in writing. I do mine, they do theirs, and then we talk about it. And part of some of the questions on there are the name of their spouse, the name of their kids, some of the interests of their spouse and kids, like trying to learn about them as well as people, because ultimately that's what I care about most. And I think the example you're referring to, John's actually, John Murr's one of the guys I mentioned, is, was one of the guys that I, I did this for, among others, which you know, he was not only overperformer himself, but he was really, he was a great mentor. He was helping new people. He was helping everybody, truly selfless guy. And so what I did is I sent 
his kids a video game that he had told me they'd really wanted as a gift as well as cookies. And I said, hey, you know, play this, this video game and eat their cookies. Your dad, John, is absolutely crushing it at work. You should be really proud of him. And he said, you know, it was like one of the best gifts he'd ever gotten because, I mean, your dad and my dad, I strive for my kids to like not love me. Obviously, they love us, but I strive for them to think like I'm cool or that I do good work. Like that's part of my motivation. And I just, I want them to be proud, as weird as it sounds. I, and so I think the idea of loving the people that love your people is always a good way to operate. And that takes extra levels of care, extra levels of effort. But man, the rewards, I mean, I'm still friends with all of those people. We still talk and name them by name. We, we still, I got an email from two days ago and we haven't worked together in like five years. So I think, you know, you can build relationships for life if you treat people well. And it's just a better way to live anyway, even if like there is no sales benefit or anything like that. It's just a more enjoyable way to live life, I think. I mean, serve over sell, serve over sell. All right. If you serve over sell, the sales will take care of itself. And you remind me of our 24 year old president. When we first started, we had three 22 year olds and he wrote a letter to the parents of the three 22 year olds and said, he said, hey, we're going to be taking care of, you know, we're going to take care of Marie. We're going to take care of Austin and you're going to be proud of what they accomplished. And it was this whole letter. And saying, hey, because again, they're leaving college. The parents are wondering, is this the right fit? They're going to a team that's not proven in an area. And he wrote those letters. And, you know, Marie still talks about the impact that it made on her. And Marie now in our fourth year here, this past year, we learned her bucket list trip was Ireland. So my wife came up with the idea, let's send her to Ireland, but let's send her with her dad. And so we had a whole surprise trip. We had like, she wrote a poem. We had Irish brochures, six pack of Guinness. And then we surprised her at our celebration dinner. And emotion just tears so she spent seven days in ireland and you know again it's the memories and moments that you create for not just the people but the people's families as well wow let me ask you this so that money you spent on that trip to ireland yeah. for her could have been profit that was put in your pocket or potentially is reinvested in your business how do you make the decisions when it comes to i'm not trying to hijack your show but i'm genuinely curious how do you make the decisions to spend money in that regard as opposed to either putting it in your pocket, which you're the owner, you've taken all the risk, you have every right to do that, or reinvesting it. And it, I guess in a way, you're kind of reinvesting, but it's indirectly. How do you make that decision? I think so. I'm a huge with Jason Freed and Basecamp's doing it. We follow them a lot. And he, yeah. he'll tell you, everything's experimentation. They used to do it with more money as they do it now. Two years ago, Ryan, we let our whole staff dictate their own salaries. <laughs> so our whole staff, we said, dictate, because when I was 24 years old, and I was in another team, our owner said, Jesse, you did so well. What do you think your salary should be? And I thought of it before. I was, all right, if I increase the revenue by 100000 I think a $10,000 raise is fine. He goes, great. And I said, it gave me ownership. At 24 years old, I felt I owned the team because I was making the decision. So I said, let's try it. And they all asked between 20 and 30% raises. We had a great year. We said yes to everyone and it worked out really? well. And then the next year we said, all right, well, what if we shift it and why don't we do it based on the team? So we shifted it to a full profit share system. We experimented with that. And now we experiment with trips. We surprised them with a Disney trip about two months ago. We have profit now, and Emily and I are not used to having lots of money. We've never been that way. So we keep our salaries pretty similar, and we keep the money going back to our people. And so wow. it's, it's experimentation. I mean, and we look at it like if a trip to Disney is $25,000. If we have 25000 less in profit at the end of the year, isn't that a memory, a moment that people will never forget? Isn't that worth it? And for not only them, but also their spouses who are all coming on the trip, we feel like that is a much better investment than splitting it up for $4,000 each person, which they will also get as well. So it, it's based on when you have, when you play in poker, if you have more chips, you can take more bets. 
When you have less chips, you're just waiting for that one great hand. And I think, fortunately, we had very little chips. We made some great decisions, have more chips now. And we're not making millions of profits, but we have enough that we can redistribute that. And whether that's 10, 20, 30%, we're experimenting with it. And some people, see, yeah. So. I just think it's an inspiring way to operate. Why do you think more people, and whether they're a business owner in any industry, why you know, Jason is inspiring free? Oh, I talked to him recently about that as well. And I know it sounds like you guys have some similar mindset. Why don't more people operate in this manner? Why do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not in that position. I'd like to think, you know, I'd like to think that I would if I was like actually running the entire show. When's enough? You know, I guess the question, when's enough? You mean for yourself? Yeah, as an owner or like, when's so enough? Did, did you and Emily sit down and say, this is enough? And so we're, we're kind of at that level, we're enough. And so at this point... We, we have a real bed. Yeah. We have a real bed. We're now sleeping in a house. You know, we, we cover our... What kind of cars do you guys drive? She drives a... She was a Kia. I mean, Kia Sorento, and I drive a Honda Accord. You know? So like, you don't have to drive a, like an $80,000 car. No. You know, I yeah. learned this from Jim Still, and he's got the CEO of Danby Appliances. He goes, you know, live the way your people live. I mean, so many CEOs try to do this. We don't need that. I've never flown first class. Like when you come from lower means, you don't need that many higher means. And I was in lower means. The same thing. I mean, it's nice. The idea of flying first class sounds amazing. Yeah. I don't need it. So again, I guess this going into leadership and what you're talking about, I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it comes down to just what matters more. And mm-hmm. for us, you talk about caring. I think this is so important. If you start becoming an owner that's making so much money, then you have to live to that life then that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, those caring pieces, that's everything. And, and that's what inspired me about you, my man. I mean, I just, this whole book you're talking, it, it literally comes down to caring. Yeah, thank you, man. It means a lot. You know, I'm not trying to make it just a love fest on each other, but you know, you know how I feel about you. I, I do, I would like to tell the story about how we first became acquainted. Uh, I don't know if you've said that. <laughs> I, but I mean, This what? is the tale of a true, like one of the best podcasters. You've completely pivoted this entire interview. I have all these questions I want to get onto you. And now well, it's about, but I will let you tell the story and then okay. we're going to move. We'll, we'll get to it. But um, I get an email, of, oh, I'm sorry, a piece of mail, which is not as common anymore. Although I still, I really enjoy uh, what happens. It was yellow. It was a card. I'm looking at the card right now. It's hanging up right on my wall. I can see it. It was a very nice handwriting. It was long. It was very thoughtful. And I remember I immediately said, I want to talk to this guy. And I heard of you. I've heard of you, obviously. It wasn't like I'd never heard of you. And I think I immediately then reached out because I wanted to talk to you. And that created our conversation because you took the time to sit down and thoughtfully. It wasn't just like, hey, thanks so much for your show. It's really good. I like it. It's helped me. But it was very specific about how and why and all of that. And that's the one thing whenever sending any type of note, whether it's you thanking someone, just be specific. Whether you're asking for something or you're telling them why they've helped you, just be very specific. That's how you can tell a lot of thought was put into it and thought matters to me. And that's exactly what how I felt when I got that letter from you and it made me want to call you similar to like Simon Sinek did to you when you wrote a similar note to him. And so, yeah, I've always remembered that. And it actually was a good reminder for me to get back into that because when I started this show, my podcast, I was writing a lot. Then, you know, things happen and you, you slow down for whatever reason, or at least I did, you don't, but I did. And that was like, oh, what am I doing? Get back. This is what you should be doing, you know? So anyway, it not only had an impact on me, but it has an impact on so many other people because it prompted and reminded me what I should be doing. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And I think it goes into the long game of caring. You know, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, again, 
you're putting on a show every single week. And you know me, I've texted, I mean, some just immediate impact right away and I'll text you, but because you put that long game of doing things and it's a long game of caring. The time, Brian, that you prepare for a podcast is outrageous. And I know, it. I see what you do, but again, that makes the impact. And so as leaders, are they willing to play the long game of caring and not having the immediate results? Because as you know, the podcast, how many listeners did you have your first few episodes? I mean, under under a hundred. Yeah, so I, I like don't want to know the numbers now. They're probably staggering, but the, that's yeah. where you start. Yeah, yeah, and I think too, you have to remember why are you doing it? If you start with no platform and nobody's ever heard of you, yeah. you're not Malcolm Gladwell. You, you, like you can't even really worry about that. Like I would, like, to me, if someone asks what's happiness to you, and there's a lot of different things, but one word that comes to mind is progress. Like progression is important to me, and that's also equals growth. And so, like, seeing the show kind of steadily increase means that there is word of mouth, one person at a time marketing, right? Jesse Cole is telling his team to listen to it, and then other people hear it, and, and that's, like, one at a time. And so, for me, like, the greatest recommendation is that one person just says, yeah, I told so-and-so to listen, and they tell other people, and they tell other people, and that's real engagement, real way to grow. So, and quite frankly, too, I like to sit down and think about, like, what are my favorite things to do? And one of my, outside of spending time with my family, my favorite thing to do is what we are doing right now yeah. is to have a long form, one-on-one, yeah. that's important, one-on-one conversation where we're both asking thoughtful questions, we're both listening, we're getting deeper. I like getting to depth quickly, not a huge fan of small talk. I understand it's kind of human nature, I get it, but this is my first favorite thing in the world to do yeah. is to have one-on-one long form conversations. So it's nice that my kind of business now has been built around my favorite thing to do. And I feel very fortunate for that as well. Yeah. Well, it's so powerful. Again, you do what gives you energy. And if it mm-hmm. fires you up, you will do it more. You will spend more time. It's enjoying practice more than you enjoy the game. Well, and it's also, you mentioned the prep. Yeah. I know the more preparation I do, the better that hour or so will be. And so that's how it's like Peyton Manning's a good example of this, but Peyton Manning's, the reason why he had to stop playing is because he couldn't practice anymore. Like his arm stopped working. And so I think part of it is if, if you stop enjoying the prep work that nobody ever sees, they can hear it on podcasts because they can tell if you're prepared. Nobody necessarily sees you. Maybe my wife sees my prep and how I do it. But other than that, no one really sees that. But if you don't enjoy that part of it, I think it's going to be tough to be good long term. So when, you know, you probably just do where people say like, hey, I want to start a podcast and give me advice and all this stuff. And I'll say like, there's a pain element of this for some people and that's preparing for shows. Are you ready for that? Is that something that you want to do? Yes. If, if it's not, you will release between like five and 20 episodes at the most, and then you'll quit. Yeah. Simon Sinek said it best recently about in this infinite game. He goes, this will suck, but it's going to be worth it. And are you willing to get through the parts that are going to suck that'll be worth it? And I think that's that's so key if you're fighting for this just cause and moving forward. So, And with that, I do want to make a pivot here. I was so fascinated, Ryan, and part of your book. Again, people talk about storytelling. They talk about storytelling. But putting storytelling and literally spreading the message into leadership and management. It's so many often about metrics, 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 but not the message. And I want to share the quote that opens up here because I'm a big fan of Scott Harrison and love what he's doing. And the reason why Charity Water has grown is so much because of the story that they're telling. But We've created a culture of storytelling. We're constantly surfacing, identifying, telling stories at our organization. There's always been an intentionality. Whenever I tell a story, I'm always trying to connect that to a value. Every company in the world has core values. 
but do they have stories that back up those values? Mm-hmm. And when I look at that, and, I, and you go into that section about spreading the message, I'd love to hear how that's really changed for you and what you've learned from this, the power of spreading the message and storytelling. That part was written with a great boss of mine. I was lucky to not work directly for it, but he was my boss's boss. His name is Brian Miller. And Brian was one of the best storytellers ever. He would go out and constantly search for stories. And then he would tell them, but most importantly, he would explain why that particular story uh, related to us. I remember one, and this is a guy from down south, uh, Webb Simpson, who's a golfer. And Webb, I went from one season to the next where he improved his stroke average by like half a stroke, which in the, on the PGA Tour is, is a lot, but it seems like a little. And he talked about his process to improve on a daily basis. And then Brian would relate that Webb Simpson story to us as sales professionals in this particular job that I had and how we could work on little parts of the craft in order to just get a little bit better and how that then has a compound effect. And what my friend James Clear might call the aggregation of marginal gains, right? And so I think of guys like Brian who were so good. And like, I still remember that Webb Simpson story. He told me that like 10 years ago. And that's the impact where, okay, I think of this random golfer who I never really thought of or cared about and how he, how he approached his craft and then how I can approach my craft. That is the power of storytelling because why do we tell stories on stage, Jesse? You and I both tell stories on stage. We tell stories because they're memorable if you do a good job. And so for me, my process is story, science, practical application when it comes to speaking. So I'm going to grab you with a story. I'm going to give some sort of of research or evidence to back up that story. And then it's like, well, who cares though? So what? Why does this matter to me and the crowd? How can I apply this to my life? And so as you know, you listen to the show, like that's a big part of what I do. It's like, that sounds great. Now let's think about this specific person and how they can implement it into their game right now. So that, so we're getting, we're going from the power of the story. So we grab them. We're proving that story true with the evidence. And now we're making it uh, so that you implement it into your life. And I think if you're constantly in that mode of operating as a leader, good stuff's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to be a combination of a learner and a doer. And that's important. You can't be I think it's important to do both, right? To have regular moments of learning and then regular moments of doing and, and stories can really help facilitate that. Well, I've heard stories in the sports world, both in the sports world of Mike Krzyzewski, Phil Jackson, who before practice, they will open with a story and then lead yep. to practice. And you've got to think of coaches as the same thing as leaders. If you're trying to get the most out of your team and try to get them to be the best people, the best performers, how do you inspire them for action? And so I'm thinking right now, like even our staff chats, instead of just going into it, can we do stories? I would say, how do you, how do you get those stories to start? So like, have you started using this, using your speeches, but like, even as a leader and a manager, did you start building these into, Hey, this is what we're doing this week. Let me share your story. Oh, I mean, whenever possible, I think some, one of the biggest parts of, as I was preparing for each meeting, as I got better, initially I wasn't like this at all. I didn't know what I was doing. I was not good at the job because I I just didn't know. As I learned and had good mentors around me, like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, because I had Monday meetings like a lot of people in corporate America where we kick off the week. But I was determined to make those meetings actually something that people look forward to, yes. which nobody does, yes. but I was trying to do that. And so I was always scouring for stories that I could tell or open with, and then that would lead to whatever the message or our behavior for the week was. And I've always found that when you were telling a story and you could look at the eyes of the people, whether it's in the audience when you speak with 12 others in a room with you, 
people are more leaning forward, they're paying attention, then you can look in their eyes and they're with you versus if you're like, all right, all right, here's the agenda or here's kind of what they've said from above that we have to do. Here are the numbers, those things. You do have to talk about some of those things as part of the job, but people aren't really as engaged as when you, if you could start and grab them because there's this recency bias, right? You have people's attention right at the beginning, Mm -hmm. so don't waste it. So if you, when you get on stage, don't waste those moments. When you get to those first five minutes of your team meeting, don't waste it because that's when you're going to have their attention. So grab it. And a story is a great way to do that. No, it's great. I just actually got back from keynote camp working with a few Hall of Fame speakers. It was a great, great camp, three days. And it's like, no, get to your story, Jesse. Get to your story. Just get wait, to wait, your story. Wait, I got You know, I can't let that go. I should go to that camp. Yes. So I want to hear details on this. But give me like a couple nuggets, like a couple, the stories one, what are parts that you picked up they're like oh my gosh i can't believe i wasn't already doing it oh, maybe you already were doing it but well again the- watch tape so like just like in sports watch tape so i know that i'm always moving so just it was more of what things not to do what to be aware of. how are you moving how do you say this don't say i'm going to tell you about it. just start telling you know mm-hmm. say what did you just dis- hey we discover this instead of i'm going to show you this hey this is what we discovered and then you get people to take a journey with you use words like imagine Hey, imagine this. And you get people to go take a ride with you, take a journey with you. So I have 10 pages of notes working with Eric Chester and Mark Schrombach, two Hall of Fame speakers. But he's a nice bike guy, right? Yes, there you go. I've seen him speak. My, Mark was so good. Yes. He was so good. Yeah, he's a legend. 4,000 oh, speeches. 4,000 4, speeches. And his wife has gone with him on 90%. And she literally takes notes the whole time on how they react. Are they taking notes? Are they leaning in? Are you serious? Yeah. Yes. I need to talk to that guy. That's wow. Fascinating. Wow. Fast wow. Fast okay. Yeah. I'd not heard of him. I was actually still in corporate America. We were a national sales meeting and I was like, who's this guy? And he came in and just crushed it yes. the whole time. Like, so it wasn't- I'm speaking of customer service revolution. My first time meeting him, he comes up to me and he goes, uh, so I hear I'm opening for you because they had me closing the event, the customer service revolution. And I go, yeah, I've heard about you. He's like, all right, well, we'll have some fun. He goes in kills it standing ovation the place is going crazy all right now welcome from the savannah bananas oh no you're like immediately after him i was immediately after i was like you guys are kidding me (laughs) how'd it go how'd it go so so that was a learning experience so i told him i go next time let's mix up the order i'll go first i'll open for you my man but uh anyways great experience but just kind of wrapping up the talk about stories here another potential great guest for you darren ross the ceo of magic castle hotel they're the number two rated hotel in all of la they were mentioned in power of moments by chip and dan heath and I've got to know him very well. I've visited him twice. This is what he shared with me on my podcast. It was fascinating. He goes, we don't incentivize sales, Jesse. We incentivize stories. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, from quarter to quarter, months, we'll say, all right, whoever creates the best story for one of our guests, we'll send you on a cruise with one of your spouse or significant other. Wow. So what they do is they have to each send three different stories that they create for guests. And they do some amazing things. And that's a whole nother talk. But I'm like, yeah. Our game day staff, our people in concessions, our people in the beer stands. Let's just do that for our game day staff. The idea of spending five hundred or a thousand dollars to create an epic story, a fan's first story that people will tell forever, that that value is unbelievable. And so I think about that that storytelling. And again, every day, what are we doing to create stories? And you're creating because you're learning these stories that you can share, but also you're living. Yeah. Trying to. And I, I think it's funny, we had a strategy call right before this, Jesse, with Lizzie and I, who now, like I said, is a new business partner for me. We're thinking about how do I price this online course? And, you know, you always said, well, you want them to get maximum value. And I said, I want someone to feel like that they got a hundred times the value of what they paid. So let's start that that is our mission that we are going to do. 
Now we have the hard part of figuring out how in the world do we do that? So then we have a whole brainstorming session that's ongoing of how do we make someone feel like, wait a second, I feel like I'm stealing here. Like, I almost feel like this can't be true because I, it doesn't mean just charge like 10 bucks. Like we're going to still charge a, a good solid price, but we just want the service and what you receive to be so much more than what you pay that you just can't, you can't help but tell everybody. And I know this is the way you operate as well, but I've learned that from you too. And I love that story incentive as well. Like that's why we do this stuff, man. They're like, how cool. Like if you weren't taking the time, cause you have a lot of stuff to do. So now you learn directly from the guy and you can implement that and it will impact your business. Those type of things really inspire me to keep doing this type of stuff too, because we get better from it. Yeah. And Ryan, I want to share that story. You know, my next book is You Wouldn't Believe. And it's three yep. words that will transform your customer experience. And you're creating You Wouldn't Believe moments that you wouldn't believe online course that people are like, wow, this is unbelievable. Hey, you wouldn't believe how much value I got at this course. You wouldn't believe what they did for me. You wouldn't believe these extra things. You wouldn't believe. And so I'm fascinated to hear what you do with that. And I know it's going to be a, a great compliment for the book. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right, we're going to wrap up here. Man, I love, we just went on an amazing tangent, which was crazy. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's, let's give you a few rapid fire questions here. If you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. And I love this. Better questions. What are those few things that absolutely must go right for you to be successful? You mentioned that in your book. But what are some other questions that you're asking that are really making a game changer for you? <laughs> well, you've heard me ask one. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> I was going to go to that. <laughs> so I've tweaked it a bit because I've learned from other people that who you are is what you do. Uh, ben Horowitz said that. I think it's the title of his newest book. So I like to ask what, instead of the commonalities of leaders who sustain excellence, characteristics or qualities or virtues, what are the behaviors mm. of people who have sustained excellence over an extended period of time? I am looking for consistent, high levels of performance of excellence. That's what it is to me. Consistency is a big word in my family, especially when it came to initially with sports. We did not like to miss practice or any games. And, and that was a big part of what we try to do. I try to do the same thing with work. So I want to understand the commonalities, uh, the behaviors of people who sustain excellence or their actions over time, not just in the short term. And what's one thing that you found recently? Uh, behaviors? Yeah. What's, what's one that really stands up for you? There's two. Well, I don't want to take the rest of the time. I just think the two words that really come to mind are being thoughtful and intentional. So you're, you take time to reflect, to analyze uh, on your experiments with what you've done, right? So you're thoughtful about it. And then you don't haphazardly wander through life. You do things with intention for a specific reason. You're not going to walk around and film yourself with your phone for a minute every day just for fun. You're, you have intention behind you filming those videos so that other people can be impacted by them, right? That's not just like, oh, you know, whatever, let's just whatever. You're actually doing it for a specific reason because you probably thought about it and then you act with intention. And I found that to be the, some of the common behaviors with leaders who sustain excellence is that they're thoughtful and intentional. I love it. You know, it's interesting. This whole talk has been about management, but we've talked about caring, storytelling, thoughtful, and intentionality. There, there's a theme there. And there was even, that's where we went. And I love thinking about this because I love experiences. So if this is now, that's what I call service. Okay. What's a great service experience that you've had that maybe has this extra caring touch or thoughtful touch that just something happened to you recently? You're like, wow, that was special. A great service experience. Man, that's a, that's a tough one. I need to think about that. You know, I recently helped somebody who was very successful in their business. They're running actually two, her and her husband are running two different businesses and the husband and wife came in and they had some questions 
about they want to become, uh, she wants to be a more well-known public speaker and podcaster and all this and just getting started. And I know this may not really check the box, but for me, it meant something. I mean, afterward, I got a handwritten note the next day and it was quite long, quite thoughtful, very intentional with what she's going to do next. And it makes me want to help her even more. And I don't know. So sometimes maybe some of the best experience can just be doing kind of what you do every day. And that's, that's writing a, a handwritten note that has a lot of thought and care behind it. It's so interesting. I ask that question to a lot of people, Ryan, because I'm fascinated by great experiences and everyone pauses for a while. That shows me there's such a need in the world that yep. why can't people have this on an everyday basis, make people feel like they matter and give them something that they can go home and say, you wouldn't believe what happened at the grocery store today. You wouldn't believe what happened at the gas station today. And so but it goes down to thoughtful. I'm not, I'm not just saying this because we're talking, and I brought this up offline with other people. Because of you, I think this, like each person that you impact will have a ripple effect, right? You, Dr. Henry Cloud, you, you're leaving a weight behind you. And part of your weight, Jesse, specifically, is the fact that you intentionally do this on a daily basis that then inspires others to do it. So I know you know that, but I think it's worth acknowledging and saying that because I know it's not easy, but because you do it, it's not going to just impact the people directly in your sphere. It has far reach, man. I hope, and I want to make sure you know that. <laughs> Thank you. It means a lot. It's not, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And I think that's a great yeah. part of leadership. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Final two here. What's one thing that you've done in business to stand out? Man, I like to think that I try to be overly prepared for big moments so that when they come up, that I, I do good work. So I think. That, though, is not like the sexy answer, but that's the reality. I do. I think preparation, I learned at a young age that preparation is the greatest medicine for fear. So sometimes it's out of my productive paranoia or my fear. If I was scared to swim in a triathlon race, then I was going to swim every day for months, way longer than the distance of the race. If I was scared of a speech, I'm going to practice that over and over and over and over. If I was scared for a presentation at work, same thing. I'm going to know my stuff inside and out. If I'm scared for a football game, you can bet I'm getting every single rep. And that starts with work in January leading all the way up to the fall. So I think the standing out is, all, is, is usually the stuff you don't really see. It's just the stuff that you're willing to do when, when people aren't really watching. I love that. I love that. All right, last one here, Ryan. How do you want to be remembered? I hope people would think that I'm uh, first and foremost a husband who really loves his wife and that she knows that first and foremost. And I try really hard to speak and act with intention so she feels that on a daily basis of the number of times she gets that I thank her every day. It's definitely the double digits just for being her and for her actions and the way that she behaves and what she does. So that is just a regular part of how we and she does the same to me. So I think that's first and foremost most important. Second would be that I'm, I'm a loving dad that our girls know how I feel about them. So I do the same with them of how I tell them and tell them why I'm proud of them and love them. So that's there. And certainly I want my, my brothers and my parents to be proud of the work that I do and the people that I impact and I help. So really, I would say if I have those, you know, I think Warren Buffett said, you know, it's, it's that the people you love, love you back. I think like that is enough for me to talk about enough goals. But what goes along with that is that hopefully if you act with intention and good thought that you could help, help a lot of other people too. But it definitely starts with those three groups, my wife, our children, and then, you know, my brothers and my parents. I love it, Ryan. We didn't get into all the crazy fun games today because we just got deep in at it. But I'll tell you, this has been one of the most enjoyable uh, talks I've had. You know how much I respect you. I admire you, your impact, and uh, more than anything, who you are. So thank you for showing up like you do and, and giving so much with us today. 
Man, thank you for your caring for that first note that you wrote. And um, I value your friendship, man. I'm excited that, you know, this is just the beginning. And we're both still just the, like the first chapter. And so that's, that's exciting for me to see like, man, what could come next? How many moments are you going to create for people? I'm going to witness and then it's going to inspire me to maybe do something similar. So I'm, I'm pumped for that. Well, well, we're just getting started. Welcome to Manage It. Where else can they find you, Ryan? learningleader.com is pretty much where everything exists. My podcast book, uh, everything. And if you're listening to this on your phone and you're not driving, you know, press pause and text the word learners to 44222. And that way we can get in touch. And I love the interaction, especially with just you. If they're fans of yours, I know uh, the type of people I want to talk to. Awesome, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.